Put them over your heart and say this with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. Amen. God is good. How many of you know everyone prays? I mean, generally speaking, if you ask the average individual on the street, do you pray, they'd say, oh yeah, I pray every day. I pray regularly, even daily. But is that really Bible prayer? Is that the kind of prayer that the Bible instructs us in and that God hears and God answers? You know, historically, the goal of prayer in most people's lives has been to inform God of something. <laughs> but how many of you know God already knows what we have need of? God already knows and understands everything that's going on in our life before it ever happens to us. And the second reason that most people pray is to petition God, to ask Him for something, to get. But now, if the New Testament's true, which says that He's already given us everything that pertains to life and to godliness, then what up? <laughs> to use some modern vernacular. I want to remind you of two verses from our previous two lessons in this series so far. And yes, we're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit called You Are Not Alone. And this morning's message is help with prayer or conversation with God. John chapter 14 and verse 26, we spoke to you about that which says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Isn't that great? W would you do something with me right now? Take a hand and just put it over your heart. Wherever you, you know, I mean, it's somewhere. Locate your heart. For some of you, you can't, you're not sure. You don't feel anything either side. So just put it up there. It's not because you're cold-hearted, it's because maybe there's too much there in the way. I better stop now. Okay, so here's, here's, <laughs> here's what I want you to do. Would you just repeat this with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that you said would come and teach me all things. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching me how to pray. That's good. And then secondly, the other verse I want to remind you of is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 13 says, If you then, who are evil or earthly, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Take your hand, put it over your heart again. <laughs> Pray this with me. Father God... I ask you for the Holy Spirit. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you for this precious gift. Amen. If you are filling out your outline, the first thing I want to talk to you about is conversation with God. And I want to talk to you about that even if you're not filling out your outline. But that will help you to fill out your outline because the first blank is conversation 
with God. Or in other words, what prayer should be according to the Bible. Now, in order to understand what prayer should be, we have to talk for just a moment about what prayer shouldn't be. Most people think prayer is turning to God, whatever your concept of God is, when you're in trouble and asking Him to fix something. But is that really the Bible definition of prayer? What are you telling God that he doesn't already know? Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Don't be like them, Jesus said, for your Father knows exactly what you need of him before you even ask. And, and then also, we're so preoccupied with getting. We, we approach God, something's broken, we need him to fix it, and we need. We approach him out of need. Those of you that are parents, doesn't it get old when the only time your children want to spend time with you or talk to you is when they need? Don't you spend a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort thinking along with your spouse about ways to spend time with your kids? Quality time. It's no less for your heavenly father. He wants to spend time with you. Not talking about what you need. Just talking about how great you are and how great he is. It's kind of like a love fest. So why do we petition him so often when according to the scripture he already knows what we have need of? and has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, 1 Peter chapter 2. Another mistake we make when trying to understand the value of prayer is taking the Old Testament approach to prayer. Let me read an example of an Old Testament prayer. This is from Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Nehemiah is praying and it says, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive to your, and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which have sinned against you. Even I in my father's house have sinned. That's so typical of prayer. We come into the throne room, our tail is kind of tucked, our head is kind of hung, and the first thing we start talking about is our sin. And then from there, pretty much everything is sort of yearning and longing and sort of a begging. Oh God, if you could see past in your mercy to Help me and to fix this that's broken. Lord, I would certainly be appreciative how many of our prayers are filled with that sort of thing. And most Old Testament examples of prayer are built on that very thing, which is what? The basis of reward and obedience. All pleading and begging and hoping that God will help comes out of a system of prayer that believes that God rewards obedience. And, and it's not that God doesn't reward obedience. It's just that in the new covenant, it's different. The favor and the blessing of God come before obedience. 
in the New Testament. In fact, it's his favor and grace that empowers me to not only want to obey, but to have the power to obey. So let's look at what prayer is like in the New Testament. First of all, the goal of prayer is not changing things. Oh, I need everybody. I know you're writing. And as soon as you as filled in that blank, look up here at me because I just want to look you right in the eyes and repeat that. The goal of prayer is not to change things or even to change people. The goal of prayer is not to get something because I'm needy. You know what the goal of prayer is? Likeness. It's right. The goal of my prayer is likeness. To just be more like my Father. To think like Him. To love like Him. To worship like Jesus did. To just know Him. And out of that likeness comes everything else that I need in life. And it straightens out my prayer. It, it really makes prayer wonderful and life-giving. Listen to this, John chapter 4, verse 24. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not obedience and begging and, oh God, if you can see your way past in your holiness to bless me today, I confess my sin. There's a place to confess your sin, but confession of sin is not what so many have taken from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the, uh, the very famous scripture on, if thou shalt confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. Whole denominations have built their core theology around the idea that confession is telling God your sin or telling a middleman your sin. And that's not at all what that passage means, nor what the Greek word or language meant when it says confess our sin. That's another lesson. But listen to this, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Be conformed to the likeness of his son. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Until Christ is formed in you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 22 through 24. The new self is to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self is to be like God. God is already righteous and holy. And so if we're like Him, we'll be righteous and holy. And that's not something I struggle to be. It's something I am. Let me rephrase that. It's not something you struggle to do. It's something you already are. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. I love this verse. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Excuse me, that was Romans 12, verse 2. Watch this. Our new self, Colossians 3.10, is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the Creator. How often have you said, I want to know God. The way to know God is to realize that you are in His very image. 
and that all of prayer is really centered around not getting, not twisting God's arm, not trying to get the Almighty to change something, but us just being in His presence, becoming more like Him. Let me say it to you this way. God has a living room and He's invited me into it. And guess what? He starts the conversation. Have you ever been around somebody who, when the conversation starts, your first words are pretty much about your last words for the next, oh, maybe 20, 30 minutes? We call it I couldn't get in a word edgewise. Have you ever heard that saying? I mean, how many of you have ever been with somebody like that? And it's, it's frustrating. It's hard because I want to talk too. I wonder how many times our Heavenly Father has had to say, you know what? He turns to Jesus and says, you know what? Actually, he would turn this direction because Jesus is on his right hand. Jesus, you know, I, I just spent the last half hour in the living room with one of my kids and I couldn't get a word in edgewise. The goal of prayer is not to get nor twist God's arm to give. Rather, the goal of prayer is to be invited into His living room and He starts the conversation. And it's far more important for us to listen to what He's saying than to be talking asking Him for things that we feel are absent from our life. Do you know that in the garden when Adam and Eve were tempted, the moment Eve acknowledged and allowed the thought that she lacked something, from that moment she did. Imagine, God created Adam and Eve perfect. They lacked nothing mentally, Physically, emotionally, materially, financially, Adam and Eve lacked nothing, and yet the lie came that you need something. You lack something. And all of the fall of man, all of the fall of the human race is built on that one thing. I lack, therefore I need, so my life becomes a pursuit of satisfying myself. And God says, that's not how your relationship with me should look. Psalm 100 and verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his living room with praise. That's the Jeff Corson translation for the word courts. Prayer invites us into the living room of our Father where He starts the conversation. And there are three things that you will never hear in God's living room. Number one, you're worthless. Number two, I can't. And number three, you must. Oh, I know what you're thinking. What about the commands? And even Jesus gave us commands. What about... The teaching of the epistles and the Apostle Paul who told us what right living looked like and the kind of things that we were supposed to put 
off and put out. Yes, but what you need to understand about every command, especially in the New Testament, is that God never states a requirement without then giving us the grace and the power to meet that goal. In the Old Testament, there was always a sense of failure. There was always a, a sense in which they didn't measure up. And so they came begging and they came confessing their sin. But in the new covenant of grace, there is never a sense of failure. There's never a sense of shortcoming. Jesus has already accomplished all. He's already met the Father's requirements. He gave us His life. We are now the righteousness of God in Christ. And therefore, when I come before the Father, I come as Jesus Christ. There's no difference. When Jesus, excuse me, when the Father looks at me, he's seeing Jesus. There's no difference. I'm not saying that I'm Christ or I'm Jesus. I'm saying that when the Father looks at me, he sees the righteousness of God in Christ. I have his DNA. He calls me brother. I'm Jesus' brother, which means we have the same Father. In fact, Romans chapter 8 says, I'm heir of all that God has given Jesus. I am heir with my brother Jesus of everything God has and has given him. And so I go before the throne room as the righteousness of God, and I come with boldness. And if I recognize there's a sin in my life, the power that cleanses sin is past tense. It's already done. And so the word confess in 1 John chapter 1 means to agree with God, not to tell God. So if I am aware of a shortcoming, I simply agree with God. Lord, you've said in your word that this is wrong. And Lord, I just want to acknowledge it is wrong. And I'm ashamed of it. And I turn from it. And I just thank you right now for your blood that cleanses it. It's gone. But you keep your head held high. You realize who you are in Jesus. And you always pray out of that presence. Never pray out of an old covenant shame and guilt or I'm needy. Pray out of his presence that you're in his likeness. And that you have everything you need. And so now you're going just to enjoy the presence of the Father. And you'd be surprised what begins to happen in your life. Could I say it this way? I know this is a little harsh. I think we'd all be surprised what would happen in our lives if we would shut up. <laughs> Bother God less with requests and just start enjoying his presence. And who he's made us to be. Three things you will always hear in God's living room. Now, I gave you three things you will never hear in his living room. You're worthless. I can't. You must. Here's three, three things you will always hear in this living room. I love you. Number two, nothing is impossible. And number three, look what I've already done. <laughs> I just love that. I love you. Nothing's impossible. Look what I've already done. That should be the foundation of every prayer time. When you walk into his presence, you know what you're going to hear in his living room? 
I love you. You're wonderful. I'm crazy about you. Man, you make me smile. And by the way, I want to remind you, nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. You have great faith. And I've already done everything you need and given you everything that pertains to life and to godliness. And so how about if we just hang out a while and enjoy one another? So in the New Testament, the idea of the Holy Spirit coming in the place of Jesus to continue the ministry of Jesus is this. He's called our helper. And so the second thing I want to chat with you about just for a couple of minutes is that the Holy Spirit is our help in prayer. And not just any help, he is perfect help in prayer. So ask yourself, how did Jesus pray? Well, we know that Jesus prayed regularly. In fact, he prayed a lot. Question, why would God, Jesus, talk to God Listen, why would God have to talk to God if there wasn't something more to prayer than just informing God of present problems and asking Him to fix them? I'm going to make that statement again because some of you are looking at me like a calf at a new gate. Why would God, Jesus was God, why would God have to talk to God if there wasn't anything more to prayer than just informing God of present problems and asking Him to fix them. In other words, that's not what Jesus spent His time doing. Informing God of needs and asking God to fix them. Jesus spent time with His Father because He loved Him. Jesus spent time with His Father because He just enjoyed being in His presence. And then it was out of that relationship that he gave us the great prayer. You remember it in each of the Gospels and in Matthew in particular. It records what's called the Lord's Prayer. Now, really, it's the, it's the disciples' prayer. It wasn't the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is found in, in John chapter 17. But this is Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. Could we just recite it? You've memorized it. Our Father, which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Seven principles Jesus gave us to help us with prayer. These are the seven things that the Holy Spirit will illuminate for you when you're in the living room of the Father. Number one, identity. Your identity. Who are you? You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Number two, worship. Never begin with sin. Never begin with a sense of worthlessness. Always begin with worshiping who God is and how great His love for you is. Number three, kingdom presence. Thy 
kingdom come. Lord, I'm not asking for my will be done. I'm asking for your righteousness, your peace, and your joy to come into this situation in my life and influence it. Number four, give us this day our daily bread. What is that? Lord, I take all of my life, my career, my skills, my talents, my earnings, and I humbly lay it all at your feet, and I acknowledge you and you alone are my resource. You are my supply. Number five, releasing others. Why is that important? If you don't release others and forgive, then it puts a block, a roadblock in the way of blessing flowing to you. God doesn't withhold it. It gets withheld because your receiver gets messed up. How many of you are familiar with the old radio transmitters? In fact, uh, I remember as a, a young boy having a uh, handheld radio transmitter. What would they call that? Oh, they walkie-talkies. Now I'm thinking of radio, AM, FM, to 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 hear the radio. Transistor radio. Yeah. What an invention! I could turn the power on, supplied by batteries, so it was portable. I could pull up the antenna. And I could tune in radio stations. Invisible sound. I didn't know where it was coming from, but somehow it was being transmitted to me. I just turned on this little transmitter. But how many of you know? Fold that antenna down, stick it in your back pocket, go to an inner room maybe of a building or a skyscraper. You're not going to get let me put it this way. Your transmitter's not functioning. Now, is that the radio sender's fault? Is, is that the radio signal sender's fault? No. It's the receiver's messed up. I got to leave the room where I'm at. Oh, you're not listening to me. You got to leave the room where you're at. You got to get the transmitter out of your back pocket. You got to raise the antenna on it and turn it on. And magic, all of a sudden, I'm receiving the broadcast. Did the broadcast ever stop? Was it, was it always there in the first place? But I wasn't hearing it. Problem with God or problem with me? <laughs> See, in the Old Testament, the problem was with me and God. God stopped blessing when he found I was in sin. But in the New Covenant, God's given us all of His blessing. He's given us all of His reward. He invites us into His living room. And the only thing you'll ever hear is, I love you, all things are possible, and look what I've done. And He just says, now, turn your transmitter on. The Holy Ghost. Turn on the Holy Spirit in your life. Number six. Number the sixth principle Jesus gave us there was protection. Thank you, Lord, that you protect me. Your spirit today just causes me to go around any of those sinkholes that Satan has set for me. And number seven, watch this. End every time in the living room back in worship. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Did you notice that Jesus, during his ministry, actually prayed very little in public for others while ministering? 
No, really. Jesus prayed very little in public for others while ministering. What did he do instead? He spoke. He commanded. His prayer time had already accomplished through enjoying the presence of God, the anointing that he needed to do the miracles. He had already received the answers to prayer just being in the presence for other people even. And so when he went out to minister to people, he just commanded the spirits to leave. Or he just laid his hand on them and said, Be whole. Jesus' goal in prayer was likeness. Don't believe me? Look at this. John's Gospel, chapter 17, verse 21. From the New Living Translation. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He also said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. In other words, all answered prayer really comes out of spending time in his presence. Prayer is really about likeness not about petition. All right, let me give you three scriptures and we'll close. Three scriptures and we'll close for today. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 28. This describes the divine help, the perfect help that the Holy Spirit will give you in prayer. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good to those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Careful. Careful. There's a verse tucked away in there that many people misquote. In fact, you'll even hear this quoted by unbelievers who are not Christ followers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, you know, everything works for good. Somehow, everything's going to work out. That's not what this verse says at all. Verse 28, And we know that in all things God works. There's a difference between all things will work out and in all things God works. How many of you know there are things that don't work out? <laughs> Come on now, is that only me? Why is that? And boy, do we get blasted as Christians when we go around saying, oh, you know, just trust God, it'll all work out. Well, it did not work out, buddy, in my life. It didn't work out in my marriage. It didn't work out with my job. It didn't... Come on now, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Happens all the time. And it's because we misquote this Bible and this verse in particular. Look at it again. 
And we know that in all things God works, or God is working is the present tense of it, for the good of who? First, those who love Him. Who else? Those called according to His purpose. It certainly implies that if you're not loving Him, <laughs> and if you're not called to His purpose, if you're not interested in the kingdom, if you have no love in Him, God is not necessarily uh, uh, obligated to work in your particular circumstance. And yet we chain Him to a verse of Scripture that it just simply does not say that. So here's the deal. When I acknowledge His presence and I live and stay in the living room, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it shall be done for you. When I stay in the living room and just live in His presence, I will avoid. That's what the prayer said. Lead us not into trial, testing. Lord, help us steer around these circumstances. Now, Life is not fair, and you are going to go through circumstances. But Lord, I'm just going to live in your presence, enjoy your love in your presence, and while I'm doing that, thank you, Lord, for steering me around these things. But, Pastor, I was dealing with something this past week, and I just, I have to admit, I didn't know how to pray. I have an answer for you. It's in the first two verses of this. 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He says this is a weakness. We don't know what to pray as we ought. That's a weakness. It's a condition. Every human being has it. All Christians experience it. Sometimes I just don't know the best prayer to pray. So the Holy Spirit comes along and He intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he searches our heart because he knows our mind and he knows the mind of the Spirit. He knows the mind of God and His perfect will, and he knows our heart. And guess what? When the Holy Spirit gets involved in your prayer, he will never pray an imperfect prayer. The Holy Spirit will never pray a prayer that's contrary to the word or will of God. Never. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and, watch this now, be careful with the punctuation. Because remember, when the New Testament was written, there were no chapters, there were no verses, and the punctuation was added much later by the translators. So watch now and be careful. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. It's not neatly divided there into all of these sub-thoughts. It's one thing. The sword of the Spirit is yours when you take the Word of God and through praying in the Spirit about everything, you wield that Word of what God has said in His Word and you say, come hell or come high water. 
I choose to take my eyes off of these circumstances and put them on your word, Lord, and I take that sword and I say in this circumstance, circumstance, you bow your knee to the will of God. I am not going to look at you. I'm not going to be preoccupied with you. I'm keeping my eyes on the word. This is what Paul meant when he said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Change your attitude. So, when you pray in the Holy Spirit, it is a perfect prayer. And it will always highlight the Word of God. Last verse, Jude chapter 1, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. As we continue in this series, we're going to talk to you more about your prayer language and praying in other tongues. But I want to tell you right now, if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have the ability in the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives in you to pray in a wonderful heavenly language that's supernatural, not English. And when you pray in tongues, that is a perfect prayer that knows the mind of God. It's in perfect communication with the mind and heart of God, speaking in tongues, praying in tongues. It never goes wrong. And here's the beauty of it. We'll talk about this more when we talk about guidance. And then Nina's going to talk in, in a session during this series about the prophetic and, and how to be prophetic and how the ministry of the prophetic is actually available to every one of us. Every Christian can operate in the prophetic. And she'll explain that. But what I want to say to you about it is this. Oftentimes, when I'm not sure just how to pray, or even if I'm not in a quandary, there, there's no conflict, there's no quandary, I'm not in need, but I'll just go into the living room, sit down, start enjoying the presence of the Father, and I'll just start praying in my heavenly language. Ten minutes, fifteen minutes, half hour, just in tongues, no English. According to Jude, it not only encourages my own faith, but according to Paul in 1 Corinthians, if you get an interpretation of what you're praying in tongues, you can actually know the divine mind and will of God over any situation by praying in the Holy Spirit over it. That's how your pastors receive their greatest guidance. That's how we make decisions all the time about our church, our finances, our marriage, direction, and certainly all the big decisions in our life have been made as we've stopped and just prayed in the Holy Spirit. You say, when you finish praying, does like God open up the heavens and, and say, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And daughter, here is your answer. Bam! No, it doesn't happen that way. In fact, oftentimes we will leave the living room and we still don't have the answer. But as we walk out the rest of the day, maybe into the week, the answer starts rolling 
And all of a sudden, new wisdom, fresh insight, clear direction, where before it was a little muddy, comes to us as an interpretation of what we were praying in the Spirit about. It's really, it's really life-changing. It's really life-altering. Could we stand?